This is One North Stories. Our goal here is quite simple. We provide hyper-local, brand-based storytelling at the intersection of science, technology, and business here in Singapore with a global perspective. We are starting with a launch series focused on technology startups, and then plan to take the podcast broader, telling our stories, your stories, about the Singapore deep tech ecosystem. Whether you work as a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road or in Southeast Asia, already doing R&D in Singapore, or perhaps a student dreaming big about technology, or someone in between. Join us to learn about the exciting technology being developed in our labs in Singapore, their translation journeys to market, and the inspirational people coming together to make yesterday's dream reality. If you have future episode ideas, segment ideas, or want to partner with us on this exciting journey, please get in touch. Our contact details are in the show notes. These are our stories. We hope they inspire you to create your own. And now, on to the show. All right, Ruben, we are at the end of the two-day Hello Tomorrow APEC Investor Day Summit. How do you feel? I'm a bit tired, but but we made it, so I'm, I'm I know. exhilarated. We made it. We caught all 15 finalists for the startup pitch competition and more. Absolutely. So, yeah, very happy to be here. It's, it's a tiring two days, but there's a sundowner drinks to go to. So let's cut this wrap up. Yep, for sure. Congrats to all the finalists for the incredible pitches. We heard so many different things from bioengineering to design, you know, to sustainability and all these different founder CEOs from different backgrounds, some with the MBA background, some who are tech people. So I really enjoyed um, getting to know them. And uh, there were some really memorable ones for me. Absolutely memorable. So before we kind of go into the intro to the founder interviews that, that we have later in this episode, how was some mem- memorable moments for you from today, yesterday? I think I got to really see the spirit of entrepreneurship, that sort of self-started spirit. One person that really stood out to me was Shopa from Bioscan Research. She talked about how she went onto the WHO website and to find problem statements of what needed to be addressed and saw that traumatic brain injury was, you know, number one cause of disability. And she just said, okay, we need better ways of detecting traumatic brain injury at the point of detection. And she cold called, cold emailed neurosurgeons to find out more about the problem on the ground. And then she took her background in military defense R&D and ended up creating this incredible product and taking it further to other applications in cancer and beyond. So, yeah, Shilpa was a very memorable story for me. Very inspirational. Very inspirational. Someone looking for problems, kind of maybe a second career and going for it and, and being successful with that. For me, one of the, I mean, lots of memorable persons, co-founders that, that we met. The one I want to highlight right now is Tadashi from Galderia. He's um, founder out of Japan and he was inspired by uh, An Inconvenient Truth. Yeah. Um, Al Gore's PowerPoint turn movie. <laughs> yeah. And he's, you know, he's not young, I'll, I'll say. And so, you know, he's, he's, he's looking to, he's, he's had like a first career and he's, he has his family and his kids and he's like, is the career that he has now everything? Or can he leave something lasting, lasting beyond yeah, him, absolutely. have an impact, you know, beyond his lifetime here? And so started looking for things and founded Galderia, which is using microalgae for mining precious metals, or let's say separating precious metals from other parts. And so 
his first application is urban mining. So that's a, a new term I learned, urban mining. But ultimately, it's circular economy and extracting precious metals from waste electronics. But then what, what really had the big impact for me was he then talked about um, how mercury is still used in unregulated gold mining um, from the earth. And mercury yeah. is used to separate the gold from the ore as it's mined. And I had actually just read uh, this article about um, illicit mining in Lombok, Indonesia, which is actually oh. you know, quite close to us in Singapore. Yeah. And about how the, uh, the miners are going into the fields and they're then using the mercury to separate the gold and then they sell the gold, but they're getting mercury poisoning. And not only the, the young men were doing the mining, but their, their families are affected, their children are affected yeah. by this mercury poisoning. And so we talked about how the microalgae separation can also be yeah. applied for, let's say, primary mining operations, not just secondary mining, and really giving hope to, you know, provide solutions so that people don't expose themselves to mercury poisoning and just, yeah, bring new solutions to market. Yeah, absolutely. I agree, you know, and that ties so much back up to what he said about wanting to leave something that was lasting even after he was gone and for his kids, you know, to have impact on the world in that sort of humanitarian angle. So for me, I had a fantastic conversation with William um, from Silo. He's a medicinal chemist. So Silo works on psychedelic-inspired drugs for treating mental illness. So for me, I find that really cool, not just because it's psychedelic-inspired, um, but William talked about how in university, when he realized how many people, including those around him, were impacted by mental illness and how there were you know, limited treatments that worked and had a lot of side effects that he wanted to make an impact. And then years later, he ended up at Silo. So for me, seeing how he went step by step in his live vision to do something, that was really, really incredible, um, especially you know now mental illness is becoming more and more destigmatized and people are really thinking more about what are the better solutions we can have for it. Yeah, absolutely. Creating new medicine, new new therapeutic routes to treat people and really getting people help that, that they need yeah, on the ground. Yeah. Okay, so those are yeah, three, three memorable interviews, three memorable moments that we had. And then ultimately, there can only be one winner, but they announced five finalists out of the 15 pitches. And those were Osteolab, who is doing 3D printed solutions for implants, Silo, as, as just mentioned, mm -hmm. Crystallite, which is doing large-scale metal microstructure analysis, Kepler, which is introducing new display technologies to express textures through display, and Topologic, which is working with topological materials, ultimately working for new memories for faster and more efficient computing. Ultimately, there can only be one grand prize winner, but there were two runner-ups. First runner-up was Topologic, and the second runner-up was Crystallite. And who won the grand prize, Ruben? The grand prize was William from Silo. Awesome. I mean, you know, I had a great conversation with William before he even went to pitch. So, you know, I have to say I was rooting for him. It's biased, but I was rooting for him. And so now there are a lot of exciting results coming out um, from phase two or phase three trials on MDMA-assisted therapy for PTSD. And it comes to show that psychedelic-inspired medicines could be a solution we can explore. So yeah, thank you for inviting me, Ruben. I had a great time. It was really fun. Oh, it was fantastic having you here as a, as a partner, Peling. We look forward to future partnerships if you're not too scarred from, from these last two days. <laughs> I had a really great time. High five.
And yeah, so, so catch, catch our interviews with the founders the rest of this episode, and we'll be looking to cut up the interviews into, into future episodes as well. All right. And then signing out. That's all right. So we are here day two of the Hello Tomorrow Apex Summit. Today is pitch day, and we have in the house William from Silo in Australia, a biotech company that treats mental illnesses with psychedelic-inspired medicines. That's correct. I'm so excited to be here, and yeah. I think it's a great initiative that you guys have put on. I've met some really fantastic people. It is my first time in Singapore, and I'm loving it so far. And yeah, so my name is William. I'm the lead medicinal chemist at Silo, where I oversee the drug discovery efforts of uh, the startup biotech company. And our primary focus is the development of new treatments for mental illness. It's something that I've devoted my entire career to for the past 15 years. I've worked, uh, well, was involved in starting another company in this space, uh, not in psychedelic space, but in um, a different area of mental health research. So something I feel very passionate about. And I think many people around the world also feel just as passionate about. Wow, that's really fantastic. Like 15 years. So how did you like get your first start and how did you end up right now in Silo? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think um, going through university was my first experience with a lot of people that suffered quite intensely from mental illnesses. And I think, well, statistics would indicate that the leading cause of death in people aged 14 to 45 is suicide. Right? And whenever I was at school, I always thought that it would be a car accident or something else which would be the leading cause of death. But it was only when I went to university that I started to see just really how bad mental illness is and how it affects those that suffer from it and the lives of those around them. And uh, I started doing my own just internal research, personal research, and found that current treatments for mental illness are pretty terrible. They're only effective in about 20% of people. They have side effects, like lots of side effects. Uh, so I thought that there's a need for new avenues yeah. of treatments. And so it was either be a psychiatrist or develop new drugs. And I, I didn't think I didn't want to be a psychiatrist. So there we go. I, I enjoy being in the lab, um, mixing chemicals, making new chemical entities. And so how I got to where I am now, so I was an academic. I was working on nerve pain and the incidence of nerve pain and also mental illness and chronic pain. Uh, and then COVID hit and I was an early career researcher. And it was tough on us. My good friend, Sam Bannister, who did his PhD a little bit before me and then went to Stanford University, he noticed that there was a rising interest in this area of psychedelic assisted therapy. So these compounds from nature that have been known for thousands of years. I want to say that they're probably the earliest known therapeutics. Uh, most indigenous populations around the world have investigated or looked at the use of psychedelics in, in various rituals. And only in the last two decades have there been a revived interest in the assessment of these compounds in high-powered clinical trials. And as someone who spent 15 years looking at data that's coming out of clinical trials and really being unimpressed at you know new yeah, antidepressants, yeah. and we started with tricyclic antidepressants and they're super yeah. toxic and then we went to SSRIs and then SNRIs and now we've got triple reuptake inhibitors and all of them are kind of much the same thing and so when I started to see the data that was coming out of these clinical trials following a single administration of psilocybin there is a sustained antidepressant effect and this is benchmarked against known antidepressants and they outperform them every single way you look at it but that's not to say that psychedelics are the answer to everything like there are problems with psychedelics and so Sam came to me and he said he's starting this company with Josh Isman, our CEO and co-founder, around these psychedelic-inspired, the keyword being inspired, medications <laughs> for, for mental illness. And so we looked at the major problems with psychedelics, and the, one of them is that they cause hallucinations, right? So they're not going to be a take-home medication. And if we think that 50% of the world will experience mental illness before they die, just half the people, which is yeah. huge, 
having medication that has to be supervised by a psychiatrist isn't really scalable. And the other thing is that they also interact with the receptors in the heart and a chronic interaction of these receptors that cause heart problems. And so we started this company and our primary goal was to see if we can differentiate between the therapeutic actions of psychedelics and the hallucinatory actions of psychedelics. I'm proud to say that after a lot of hard work and various computational modeling systems and an incredible team, we've managed to identify compounds that are inspired by these psychedelic compounds. So they have similar structures, but they're all novel chemical entities that we have IP for. And they perform just as good as psychedelic compounds, but they don't cause hallucinations in our model of depression. So now we've got something that is scalable. Secondly, we wanted to look at the had interactions with the heart. They don't. So now we can treat chronic conditions, which most mental illnesses are. And I think that, and this is perhaps somewhat biased, but I think we're onto something that really has the potential to change the way we treat mental illness in this world. So that's why I wake up yeah, every morning. And that's why that's I'm really, really exciting. But I do. Yeah, that's definitely really interesting. Like doing a PhD, you know, I also see friends who like experience a lot of stress, anxiety and, you know, figuring out what medication to take. It's always a very stressful process. So the idea that we can find something that doesn't have those side effects and it's like inspired by nature is something that we've already had for a long time. So like, what do you think could be the barriers for people taking up this new technology? Because it's, you know, it's pretty groundbreaking. So, yeah. Um. A lot of barriers. So for one, just even human being here, when I was uh, yesterday at the Investor Day, setting up pitches and stuff, I mean, not pitches, meetings with investors, some of them just straight up rejected it before even going because it's a psychedelic-inspired wow. medication. Wow. So one, there's this, mm -hmm. there's this negative connotation mm -hmm. that is somewhat perpetrated by the media and other things. But like I was saying, psychedelics aren't, you know, there, there are risks associated with psychedelic-assisted medication, but there are risks associated with antidepressants as well, right? And yeah, even yourself were saying that you have allergies to certain um, yeah, treatments yeah, and stuff, right? That, yeah. so, so there's a risk to everything we do. And even drinking coffee, there's a risk. Um, mostly of burning my tongue, but, <laughs> you know. Um, and so that's one barrier, which is just the perception of um, psychedelics and their use in therapy. Uh, and um, the second barrier is the negative stigma around mental illness. Yeah. Right? So when this, this study that was published by Cambridge and University of Queensland that showed that the incidence of mental illness is 50%, I was shocked right? because when you look at most research that's coming out, it's cancer and cardiovascular. So that would suggest that some of the biggest problems in the world are cancer and cardiovascular. And I'm not saying they're not big problems in the world, but the incidence of cancer and cardiovascular disease, even if you combine them, doesn't come close to 50%. It's one in three. One in three people will either have cancer or cardiovascular disease, but half the people in the world will have mental illness and so it really goes to show that there's one this the stigmas around mental illness and talking about it and also the the perceptions of society and the last thing is investors are scared to invest in treatments of around mental illness well drug discovery in itself because it's high risk but also mental illness clinical trials in mental illness are difficult yeah absolutely say. it's tough like has silo you know what do you guys have done to try to overcome those barriers because that's pretty hard right trying to convince people so when i was an academic i was very like we had taught you know don't like don't speak much on social media yeah. and don't promote your research too much and i think it's changing which i think is good it's important because there's this there's this need for the dissemination of scientific research to the broader public because that's the real reason why we yeah, do research right? absolutely yeah and a lot of government funding comes from taxpayers, so they, they deserve to hear about the research you're doing. And so when I joined this company, Josh is really big on social media and, you know, promoting 
our team, which I think is amazing, and promoting the research that we're doing, which I also think is amazing. And so we've done multiple podcasts, and we're very honest about the risks associated with psychedelics and uh, that it's not going to be for everyone and what we're doing and how we're trying to change the perceptions. That's the first part. And ever since that, we, we have this monthly newsletter, which is curated of all the research that's come out in that month, which is amazing. It's wow. a secret, but I also get most of my scientific reading from this newsletter. We, we, have, a, we have an incredible person. Have Delara, subscribed to that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I highly recommend it. It's, um, it's awesome. And so that's one, one way we're doing it. Two, our initial investors are quite incredible people. So we have a bunch of people that invested initially and they put us in touch with people that have an open mind. And I think that's really important. So I, I think one of the cued questions here is what do we need? Money, yes, exposure, yes. But what else? I don't know if money and exposure are the most important things. I think, and this is perhaps something that comes with more experience, but what we really want is partnerships. We want to yeah, form relationships with yeah. our investors and our VCs so that it's not just about money, that it's about what can you provide us as a company and yourself, really, it's helping themselves in the long term. Like, and through the investors that we have, we've had connections with some huge, they're now advisors, but like huge psychiatrists, like people that have literally written the book on psychiatry and, and people that have written the books on animal models of mental illness, which is tough to replicate in animals. And so both of them are advisors now. We have the person who's the world leader in serotonin receptors as an advisor. So our team is incredible. And it's only through these investors choosing the right ones. So that's, that's what we're, we're really looking for now as well as we move into this uh, seed round where we hope to make long-term partnerships, not just here's your money, talk to us when you exit sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Let me take a step back and ask about the technology. And um, I know it has to do with like five HT2A antagonists or agonists. Agonists, yeah. So what are they in like simple biology terms? Okay. So there are lots of serotonin receptors in our brain. And we know from animal models, animal studies and human studies actually, but if you give them a molecule that activates the serotonin 2A receptor in the brain, they can hallucinate and they also have therapeutic effects. And we can block that by also administering a blocker to that receptor. And when we block that, they don't have hallucinations and they don't have psychedelic effects. But here's the thing that really kicked us off was that we are now producing, hopefully, because all of us here are having a good time, serotonin in our brain. And serotonin binds to the same receptor, serotonin 2A, and it doesn't cause hallucinations. That means that there must be molecules that can activate this receptor without any hallucinatory effect. And it's true, right? So we used computational models to design a platform really to screen millions of compounds from libraries that are publicly available, from our own in-house libraries, from libraries that we could access through collaborations and partnerships, and identified molecules that kind of mimic the therapeutic areas of the receptor and not so much mm -hmm. the psychedelic effects. And, you know, at the time it was kind of like a, let's see what this happens sort of thing. And we were amazed to see that we can have some of these therapeutic benefits. But again, there's a caveat, right? Animal models of depression yeah. lack a lot of translatability. Yeah. And so we're currently gearing up for our preclinical development cascade, where we will then look at um, going into a clinic and seeing if it works in humans. So you have like your lead compound. And we have a couple. So you have a couple in the pipeline. Yeah, we, have, we have about four compounds in the pipeline that are mm -hmm. all similar sort of level. They each mm -hmm. have different uh, properties. So some of them are more therapy, like in terms of dosage, have a lower efficacious dose in mm -hmm. the uh, depression models. Some of them have better pharmacokinetic properties. Mm -hmm. And so it's about really like teasing out which ones are going to be clinically viable. 
Right. So like how far do you think you are from like clinical trials at this point? So we want to do IND enabling studies early to mid next year, so 2024. Wow. To then, yeah, so then that'll be six months worth of toxicity testing in animals. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully end of 2024, we can start recruitment for phase one. So that will kick off 2025 with a clinical trial, which is phase one. And phase one's usually, okay, let's knock on wood, but phase one is um, just toxicity in humans. Safety, Safety, yeah. So you're going to do this in like Australia? Are you looking to like do international trials? Uh, So there's a benefit of being in Australia is that we have an R&D tax incentive. Mm -hmm. So all research done on Australian soil, um, we get 42 cents of the dollar back. So, and Australian run clinical trials are some of the best in the world. A lot of international big pharma companies come to Australia to run Mm -hmm. their clinical trials. And we also have a very diverse multicultural population. So recruiting is, Mm I don't want to say easier, but it gives us a better distribution of the population. Second thing is Australia is currently leading the Mm -hmm. charge in terms of uh, becoming more okay with psychedelic therapies. And we already have like, you know, our molecules are inspired by classical psychedelics. So the TGA approved psilocybin for the treatment of depression and MDMA for the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, we're the first nation to do that. There are other like states in the US that have approved similar sort of protocols. And so we think Australia would be probably be the best place to run the clinical trials, but uh, preclinical toxicity, it's likely that we'll have to go uh, internationally to run those. Yeah, yeah. So you started off like, you know, in university and realizing that was this problem and you wanted to get involved. So all these years later, you know, how are you feeling about like your, in a way, your life mission? Oh, that's a good question. So my PhD was around a different field Mm -hmm. and, you know, you hear about the stories of less than 1% of compounds go to market and stuff. So you never really expect it. And I was just, I just happened to work with a great supervisor and an incredible team also and we developed molecules and i and i saw it firsthand going through the stages and mm-hmm. now that's in humans clinical clinical studies and it so far it looks really good and uh they just had a big exit there and i think with that partnership that they made with this big pharmaceutical company that that could have the potential to really modify or change the lives of those that was for addiction yeah, yeah. um and so we'll just do it again i think the potential is huge. The problem is, and this is like a systemic problem, but clinical trial design and development and stuff, it's so tedious and it needs to be. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, even with positive phase one indication data, it's still going to be between four to five years before we go to market. Yeah. And that being said, we're open to the idea of taking it to market ourselves, but we're also, and what's probably more likely is to either use a co-development deal. Mm-hmm. And we're lucky last year or this year, uh, Daiichi Sanko came on board with a sponsored research agreement with oh, us. Oh, that's awesome, yeah. So it's huge and, and it's really a testament to them because they had the thought process or the ideas to, to venture into this space and yeah, initiate yeah. these conversations. And when they agreed to do a sponsored research agreement with us, we were super excited. And so we've set up our US labs, which involves setting up a neurobiology center in Denver. And we also have offices in Philadelphia now. So it's really growing quite fast. Oh, and that's awesome. I oversee all the chemistry and it seems like everything is contingent on the chemistry. It's always yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's always like well, all these studies that are initiated and we run them in parallel and then it's like, yeah. they're all contingent on us making the molecules and making enough of it and stuff like that. And yeah. I run the chemistry team and everything's contingent on the chemistry, which is exciting. And uh, yeah. 
Yeah, so, that's really cool. You're expanding, you're getting to the IND enabling stage, you're, you know, one step closer to kind of clinical trials. So congratulations. That sounds really awesome. A lot of work, but I'm sure like you're super motivated. So do you have any final things you want to say? Any plugs for your podcast, your newsletter? Uh, definitely check out the newsletter. I, I cannot stress it enough. It's incredible. It's well created. It's written for general population, general public. It has links to all the current studies that are happening and um, all the new research. And there's always usually like what the team is up to. And we're always doing something fun and interesting. Like Josh gave a TED talk recently. So you can check that out. But yeah, I think everyone has the same goal, right? It's to make the world a better place. And that's why it's called Hello Tomorrow. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Um, thank you. It's thank you so much. You, thank you for William. the invitation and setting me up. Hello and welcome to One North Stories. We are here with Taiki from Topologic. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Taiki, can you share a little bit about your, your background and then Topologic? What, what are you guys doing? All right. So actually, I have a more background um, in, in engineering and in business. So I started off uh, with a degree in aerospace engineering. So I was doing very, very different things using a lot in the fluid dynamics and simulations. So I was planning to work for maybe like a, an aerospace company like Boeing, Airbus, but I ended up here. Uh, in between, uh, after I graduated university, I joined uh, McKinsey & Company. So I was uh, at a consulting firm for about uh, six years. And that's why I chose to join a startup after that because you know I wanted to get some hands-on experience in managing and business not just from a consulting perspective, but being the sort of managing position. And that's one of the reasons why I'm here right now with Topologic. Okay, so how, how did you find Topologic? Or did Topologic find you? So actually it was Topologic that found me. So um, I, I'm not actually one of the founders. Uh, they founded the company back in 2021 uh, with the professor mostly and a couple of people that supported him. Uh, one of the people that supported him was a former colleague uh, back, with, back when I was at McKinsey. And he was looking for somebody to manage a company, and uh, he contacted me uh, to start it off. Okay. So no background in topological materials or spintronics all, no. or even IC? No, no. I was more like more uh, macro, you know, kind of uh, physics. So okay. very, very different field. Okay. So you said that the company was founded in 2021? Yep. Out of the University of Tokyo, I believe. Exactly. Is. Yes. Okay. So what, what is... What stage is the company at now um, in terms of like where you are in your product development? Mm -hmm. So right now we're developing two products. One is a semiconductor solution uh, for very, very fast and very, very energy efficient computing. Another product that we're working on is a heat sensing solution for um, batteries and power electronics for very, very heat sensitive components. The former is at a very, very early stage. We're testing the you know, physical properties of how it actually works at the moment. But the latter is more uh, on a development stage where we're doing prototypes with some companies. We're actually doing some uh, application development uh, with Japanese corporations at the moment. Okay, so just curious then about the, the MRAM yep. product. Are you guys at wafer level or still kind of doing small pieces and testing the materials? And... Yeah, so we're creating tests on a two-inch wafer right now. So okay. very, very small wafers. Okay. Um, we're making like sort of uh, micrometer order cells. And putting in a lot of currency when they sort of catch fire, pretty much. <laughs> you know, that's that's what you do at the very initial stages of uh, MRM development, and that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. And then the heat sensor for the batteries, right? Yeah. I mean, you said that that's a bit more mature. Mm -hmm. So right now we're working with uh, automotive tier ones and some uh, heavy electronics companies in Japan uh, for potential applications in embedding our products into their solutions or uh, utilizing it in their development phase and their R and D. 
for analysis and and uh, tests and uh, failure mode analysis, things like that. So you've got these two product lines um, yep. going. Do they kind of depend on each other or are they kind of quite separate so in terms actually, of development? Yeah, so actually um, the core technology behind it is the same. So topological material is a material technology and we just utilize different physical phenomena that comes from it. So both technologies are based on a the fabrication of topological material into thin film in vacuum sputter. And we etch them in different ways or we, we exploit the different phenomena in, in these different applications. So the root development is the same. Um, some of the core technology is the same. We just do very, very different um, application development for these two technologies. Okay, so we know um, micro nanofabrication can be quite expensive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, are you guys doing it on your own or kind of still leveraging University of Tokyo or other partner labs? Uh, yeah, so we do a lot of leveraging, actually, uh, because if we were to actually develop our MRAM products by ourselves, well, that's going to cost <laughs> a lot for us, um, you know, in terms of asset-wise. So we do uh, leverage some of the facilities in the University of Tokyo. However, you know, that does not complete the entire process. So we do work with other universities in Japan and also some organizations and corporations in Japan and in, uh, some, in some cases, Taiwan, because there's obviously a large semiconductor industry base there. Uh, so yeah, we do talk with these people uh, in collaboration. Okay, so what would be, let's say, your timeline to get to maybe an 8-inch wafer? Well, or... uh, we're hoping to develop or ship our first prototype chips in 2025. Okay. So that's an ambitious goal, but uh, that's what we're trying to achieve. Uh, that's going to be done on probably a 6 or 8-inch wafer, but at least the customers can uh, actually see a chip, test it out, and see that it's fast and is that see that it's energy efficient. Okay, so what do you need to do between now and then 2025 to make that reality? Let's say besides money. Right. So right now, um, we're actually creating, you know, the, the magnetic tunnel junctions or like the very, very cells that record the ones and zeros. We also need to do a, a lot of development around the circuits that allow the reading and writing and the transistors that operate it. Um, we do need to do a lot of development there. We actually need to do a lot of uh, development in process because you're going to put transistors in there. You're going to put electrodes in there, which we do not have at the moment. We're just probing each of the cells at the moment. So that's going to be happening over the next couple of years. So we need a lot of engineers in semiconductor process and uh, array circuit-wise, circuit which is not you know, abundant in Japan, to be honest. And also, uh, as you mentioned, we need a lot of funding. Yeah, A lot of funding. Okay, great. Anything else you want to share today about Topologic, either yeah, on the MRAM side or the, the heat sensor side or any other things you have up your sleeve? Uh, well, well, I only have those two things up, up my sleeve at the moment. However, you know, um, since we're a material startup, I think it's important that we're always you know, looking at the new um, developments in research, in, in state-of-the-art research, so, so that we can always you know, start a new pillar of technologies that can, you know, help pretty much humanity overall. I mean, our MRAM solution provides technology that slashes power consumption by tenfold of data centers, for example. That's, that's what we're trying to achieve. And that's something required to sustainably implement, you know, um, edge AI and, you know, generative AI overall, because it's a very, very power consumption heavy application at the moment, right? So yeah, that's what we're trying to do. If there's, you know, companies interested or, you know, students or uh, engineers interested in joining, the door's always open. Okay, great. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for your time today. Oh, thank you. The pleasure was all mine. Hello. Yep. We are here with um, Lu from Crystallite, which is a technology spin-out from NTU. Yes. Welcome to One North Stories. Thank you for having me today. Yeah. So can you give us a, a little bit of introduction to yourself? 
and then the technology of Crystallite. So my name is Lei, and I am actually working on this uh, Crystallite project in NTU. Uh, this is actually a proof of concept project funding from NTU ETF, and we're trying to build the uh, prototype that can be uh, right, ready to, to ship out to customer for testing right now. Yeah. Okay. And so Crystallite, I mean, it's a microstructure analysis tool. Yes. That, that you're developing or have yeah. developed and now prototyping. Um, can you explain a little bit what's, what's the physics behind it? So um, normally, like right now with current technology, if you want to uh, check for the microstructure or in general for quality of com metal component, you need to basically section the part, cut it out, polish, put it into the electron microscope which is very expensive and very slow. And uh, you get, what you get from that is just a very tiny map of microstructure information from the a large part. So if you want, that may not be re representative for, for the quality of the entire component. So what we give here is like something like, you can look at the part, the microstructure of the part as a whole. So without cutting it, without destroy it. So, and it's much faster too, because it's optical based technology and also our AI-based kind okay. of analysis here. Yeah. So it's, it's a non-destructive technique that you have, is that correct? Yeah, and non-destructive in in the sense that we don't need to uh, cut it smaller to, to put into the machine. We can put the part as a whole, yeah. Okay, and then you also said, I mean, it's a large area microstructure yeah. analysis. Yeah. And then you use the word AI, and that was going to be my question. one of my questions, mm. like large structure means a lot to look at. So how do yeah. you how do you decipher? All that down to the microstructure. So actually, um, the, the, the measurement principle, the analysis principle is like, we shine a line into a piece of metal component that has been chemically etched. So basically, uh, when you shine a light at different angle, it will, each grain, each crystal will reflect the light differently. And then we capture all this information using a camera. So uh, after that, what we do is like, we correlate the reflection signal from each crystal with the orientation uh, from that same area that we uh, we measure using the conventional um, technique. So basically, you just need to train the uh, machine learning model using a small area, and then you can use that to characterize a large area uh, much faster. Okay, fantastic. So who would use a tool like this? I mean, metallurgist, but like what would be, yeah. let's say, a, a, so, an application use case that, that our audience could relate to? So uh, the first uh, customer segment that we are targeting as is like uh, metal manufacturing. So those that want to check their like output product quality, something like that, or some other man metal manufacturing, they, they import metal feedstock from uh, like a third party. They want to control the input quality of the, the metal. So they also need to check for, for this kind of information. So that one segment. Another segment is the uh, aerospace engineering. So like uh, just now, I think I mentioned like um, for turbine blade, for example, which is the uh, considered the most critical component in the aircraft engine. So people right now, they still do it manually and visually checking only by a skilled technician. So there's no current tool that can help them look at the entire blade without destroying it to get the microstructure information. Yeah, so that, that's our uh, initial targeted market. Another market is for also university teaching and research. So like if you want to teach met metallurgy, you need to show the student how to visualize 
the crystal orientation, right? And yes. this is one of the, uh, the way that we can use to, to show that kind of information. So you shared before we started the interview, you're still, um, very much in the, the prototyping stage yeah. of, of the company. Can you share like, what, what, what's the next big milestone for you guys? So, uh, we're trying to uh, get the prototype finished as well as possible. And, uh, that's just the hardware prototype. We also trying to, to build up on our analysis software and trying to make it something like a, uh, SaaS model, like software as a service. So, um, like, let's say if we have uh, some pilot customer, uh, we can just send the prototype for them to try and, uh, get feedback on the, uh, what's the performance, what the error, things like that, just to uh, improve for further like iteration of the, the prototype. So that's, that's the, uh, short-term goal. Yeah. Long-term goal is like, uh, yeah, for sure. Establish a company, get, uh, expand the uh, product. So right now it's still like a bench top kind of prototype. We want to make it a handheld device that people can bring to the field and try to measure it uh, right at the field. No need to take out a component, bring to the lab, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. How far away do you think you are to like having a handheld? Uh, you, you meet all your milestones. Is that like one year away, two years, four years? Uh, so, uh, we actually have some technical challenges to make it handheld right device right now. So I envision it to be something like around three, four years later for, for that kind of handheld devices. But, uh, right now the benchtop device is almost kind of ready to be shipped out. Yeah. And you talked about metal manufacturers. So do you have initial mm -hmm. testing partners in place? Uh, testing partner, we are actually contacting different companies right now. And, uh, so within this kind of industry sector, uh, before you can do anything, you have to, uh, make sure that all the NDA is set up and this process takes quite some time, especially because this, uh, spin-off right now is not just NTU and the company. We also have a team member in Cambridge, UK, University of Cambridge. Okay. So it's like a trilateral kind of NDA. So it takes even more time to, to settle this kind of thing. Okay, Lee, um, thank, thanks for your time. Um, mm -hmm. anything else you want to share with our audience before we wrap up? We'll try to see the top five finalists and let's see if we can make it to the top five. <laughs> okay. Well, great. Thank, thanks for your time this afternoon. Thank you very much for having me today. And with that, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode. Please help to grow the show by sharing with a friend or colleague. Please also hit like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to look out for future episodes as we explore the intersection of science, technology, and business in Singapore together.